Welcome to Welcome to the Gun Show. I am joined by Garrett. Hey, everybody. And Derek. Hello, my sweet summer children. Oh, here we go. You remembered one this time. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go to fetch a beer, did you? You went to go check the list. Did you print it out? <laughs> and fetch a beer. And fetch a beer. I need to go pick up some Guinness. I've run out. I'm, I'm almost out of Guinness, and that is a catastrophe. Because as Steve pointed out, it's lowering calories and light beer, and it's filled with tasty goodness. I'm also running low on uh, Vintuk again, so I really need to get there. Well, you can now, for now. Because apparently when it's hot, I drink a lot of Vintuk. Like a lot. Uh, you know there is this stuff called water, right? I have a lot of that too. It's just, it gets kind of boring. <laughs> it's not the same as nice cold Vintuk. <laughs> so, a <laughs> couple of housekeeping things before we kick off with tonight's topic. Uh, tonight's topic is going to be uh, gear reliability in general and how it screws you if your stuff isn't working. Um, so let's kick off with, uh, let's pick a topic here. T-Bag, you were recently published in a, in a very specific annual. I want to tell us a little bit about that. Yep. I'm, I was very, very happy to have a little article I wrote published in the 2021 uh, Glock annual, which uh, will be available um soon uh, we've we've got a, a limited number of copies in and with, with more coming so uh, if you ask me very nicely i'll give you one um, i'll also give you an annual um and they'll start getting distributed to the gun shops over the next couple of months as well so question if the if the guys ask you directly will you like issue signed copies oh they're gonna have to uh, get down on their knees so to speak for that I mean, it doesn't have to be a signature. I mean, you could sign it by drawing a cock or something, but. I mean, I'll do mushroom stamped copies if people want. Okay, moving along. <laughs> Thank you for that. Congratulations, T-Bag. Um, yeah, congrats. Look out for that. Uh, you said ask him for copies directly, um, and then hopefully I'm soon they'll be available. Writer. Hopefully they'll soon be available in, uh, in, in gun stores across the country. Um. Next item we need to mention, uh, Gaz, yeah, you've well, launched a new uh, coaching offer for uh, competitive pistol shooters in South Africa. Um, yes. Competitive coaching with Gaz. Did I get that right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, you also <laughs> think so. Because none of us no, are good. sure. It's called something like that. There, <laughs> something <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> so, uh, so, Gaz, the, the idea there is... Uh, Primarily virtual coaching across some platform uh, where you help guys work on their specific issues. And then they have the option of opting into a range session with you at some cost uh, to go and solidify some of the stuff. Is that correct? Yeah. So we'll have, uh, we'll have like a full virtual course where we'll go through your specific problems and I can give you tailor, tailored specific and specialized attention to the areas that you need it the most. And then there's another package where you can have the same virtual training. And then we have um, either a live fire or two live fire sessions where we can actually get out and fire some rounds if you need that specific training as well. So 
it's going to be personalized and tailored training. Uh, so awesome. I think that's going to be beneficial for a lot of guys. Yeah. And for the guys to, uh, to get in touch with you for more details on that, they email you at, uh, they're going to email me at info at DVC tech.co.za and that's DVC Delta Victor Charlie and then tech T E C H. That'll be in the show notes for the guys who, who either don't understand what he just said or, uh, are too busy to write that down. Uh, so if you can't remember that, click the link in the show notes. It'll be there. Awesome, guys. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, oh, I think it's going to be great. T-Bag, back mm, to you. Um, oh, okay. Oh, no, go, go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. Say your thing. <laughs> I was just saying good luck. I'm very excited for Gary. Awesome. Thanks, T-Bag. Well, now uh, back to you, T. Uh, Hellstorm have... Uh, assisted you with some things that you've been testing and that you've had really good luck with. Want to tell us about um, uh, them things? Yeah, Hailstorm have, uh, as I understand, been appointed the agents for the, the Shield magazines, the double stack mags for the Glock 48 and the Glock 43X. Um, I can, of course, not officially recommend or condone their use, um, being an aftermarket part. Um, I can say that there's one in my G48 right now. <laughs> uh, I got a couple from the guys there. They managed to, to get me some as soon as the batch landed. I was the annoying guy going, can I come now? Can I come now? Can I come now? Um, ran through the three mags. I ran 450 rounds on, on Friday. Some reloads with some sort of very short flat nose bullets. Um, Full metal jackets, one forty-seven range of tees, one uh, fifty a full box of uh, full box of one twenty-four range of tees, fifty rounds of one one five grain mag tech, guardian gold plus PJHPs, uh, somewhere else, um, some Aguila one one five grain plus P, uh, zero issues. The the only thing I discovered that is is that one hundred and fifty rounds of plus P in a really short time period, through Glock forty-eight is a bit much for my normal size hands. Um, Your delicate flower hands. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I must say, they, they look very well built. Um, I know that's super scientific. They, they lock the slide open on empty. They I deliberately ran them with, with varieties of, uh, of carry ammo because I want to do, you know, I, I know how many, how often these sort of things just get run with, you know, a couple of mags of full metal jacket and guys go call it good. So I also tried a box of uh, Fioki EMB um, as well. So it was another type of carry ammo I tried in there. And yeah, they worked really well. Uh, the, the one of the mags I put the, the Shield plus five mag extension on, um, which is a, a very nice compact package for a, a, a 20 shot pistol. I... I can only get 19 rounds consistently in the mag. When I try to get the 20th run in, I cut myself and then it hurt to try and do any more. Um, but I'm quite happy with it as a 19 round mag that seats super easily. You know, with, with 19 rounds and a forward slide, it, you can literally pop it in with the slightest little bit of pressure. What I just did does absolutely no good for those of you listening to the podcast, but the other two saw how easily you can push that mag in. 
that's obviously not going to work. It it was um, kind of spectacular right up to the point where he fucked it up on the third try. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is impressive how easily that seats though. Yeah. So what I've done is I've uh, I've kind of treated the 15 round mags as 14 round mags. I find at at 15 they worked. I did all my testing with them for, but uh, at 15 rounds that that top round there's there's no movement. It's it tights as men's what's it. So I'm kind of treating the the 15 round mags. Did you enjoy that one? Um, as as I did because my mind filled in the blank. <laughs> It was supposed to, um, and then I'm treating the the 20 round mag as a 19 round mag. Uh, I still think the G48 is is the thinking man or woman's carry gun, um, and I would I was very happy carrying it with a 10 shot mag, um, but I got to say, it's nice having a, a 50% or 100 percent jump in capacity or 90 percent jump in capacity um, available. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and no, they weren't sponsored or anything. I paid for them with my own money, um, but Hailstorm were very kind in getting them to me. So this is not me being a shill. Uh, I was just quite impressed. Awesome. So next topic on the list. Uh, Shotgun extravaganza. Uh, 13th of March at Vector, brought to you by Bernard Agency Sports Shooting Club and Vector Shooting Club. There are still a handful, and I really mean a handful, of spaces available for this match. Uh, if you're if you haven't registered yet and you've been thinking about it, I suggest you, you get on it really quickly. Um, if you have registered, fantastic. We look forward to seeing you there. It's going to be a great match. Yeah. Um couple of things for the guys who are coming, uh, and, and you will get an email, but um, and for the guys who are thinking about coming, um, it looks like we're going to manage to have range helpers. So we're going to ask everyone to uh, to bring a little bit of cash to help out with that. But um looks like we'll have guys to help pick up. Uh, we've been trying to arrange this since before the match started. We just didn't want to promise. Um, so that's why we charged the lower fee on that. Uh, we'll have catering available. Um, and at least one and possibly three of the, of the shotgun um, Importers will be at the match uh, with with guns for you to have a look at as well. Um, they might, some of them might even have a gun you can put a round or two through. I can't make any promises, um, but we have got a couple of guys who will hopefully be there, so you can have a have a gander. So if, you know, there's a couple of guys who this is their first match, or there's guys who are kind of getting into this. So we'll have box fit abominations for those of you who are wrong, um, and then hopefully we'll have. Fed Italian goodness for you to, to appreciate what a good shot can. And uh, obviously the uh, Welcome to Gun Show guys will all be there. So if uh, that's not a good enough reason to come, then fuck But you me. don't have to shoot with us. So like, don't avoid it because of that. You can squat on the other end of the range. <laughs> uh, put one of us in each squad. <laughs> uh, two more items on the uh, on the list. Uh, first one, Sasha Lee Duplessis is hosting a fundamentals class for the lady shooters at Guns at Work, also on the 13th of March. Um, Gaz, how do they contact Sash for that? They're going to contact her through cell phone number. Okay, perfect. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes so we don't shout out her cell phone number on, on the air. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the Facebook 
uh, post where she announced this. You guys can grab her phone number from there, get in contact with her. Um, so, guys, you can't obviously go to this one. Uh, ladies, great, great Are thing to Are you assuming attend. our agendas? Are you assuming my agenda? Yes. Have you not been following the Potato Head saga? I don't give a fuck. Is the is my official stance on You're on that matter? Promoting the the patriarchy with your toxic masculinity, masculinity is sort of my thing. Uh, <laughs> well, well, you're half right. I mean, the toxic the, conspiracy. Uh, sorry, moving <laughs> swiftly along. <laughs> so, the guys, you can obviously not attend that, but uh, it's a great place to send the wife, the girlfriend, uh, significant other, whatever form, as long as they're female. Uh, <laughs> Stop shaking your head at me, Terry. I didn't know you started working at Coke. Um. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. That's the Coke bot. Last item on the list, um, Zero Mike Bullets, uh, obviously a sponsor of the show. Uh, Gaz is a member of Team Zero Mike. And uh, website's up. Bullets are available. Get on there and order. As we've mentioned before, price breaks at reasonable quantities. Um, free shipping on orders over 800 Rand within South Africa. That's very important. Um, wide range of bullet profiles, uh, bullet weights, and three different calibers available at the moment. So there is bound to be something in the catalog that fits your needs. Yep. Links will be if in the show notes. If you need a new gun. Well, if you're shooting like, I need to think of some obscure caliber. <laughs> like 38 Special. Yeah, if you're shooting 38 Special, you're not going to, at the moment, have options. But if you're shooting, you know, 9 by 25 Mars, we got you, fam. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> colors are being standardized. Um, there will still be multiple colors available but as special order items uh stock items will be uh a more limited palette shall we say it's going to be per caliber it um there's there's some there's some internal debate at the moment um kind of you'll if you know unless unless you you're willing to wait a little bit you, you're going to kind of get whatever's on hand um and to be honest, they all shoot exactly the same. Um, uh, we just moved the factory um, to new premises. So uh, priorities, obviously, just on getting production up before we worry about stuff like that. So at the moment, um, yeah, and, and in the foreseeable future, more colors are going to take slightly longer. Um, but uh, it, it, it doesn't really matter. You know, the, the first batch of bullets you buy, it's cool to have some sort of cool color. And then after that, it really doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I've never cared. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've been shooting the Land Cruiser brown ones lately, the uh, body suit. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe it's my recent Land Cruiser fetish. Not that I want to drive one every day. Thank you. For that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Told you. <laughs> it's very nice. Um, not man enough. Yeah, it's very nice. Short intervals. Mm. Or off road, like it's awesome off road. Like roads, we don't need no roads. Allegedly, I mean, I'm going to take T on his first off road excursion. Uh, I've been off roading, dude. I used to sell hammers, bitch. I did the hammer off road course. 
Okay. All right. I'm going to take T on his first off-roading course because T has been to <laughs> what is allegedly off-roading. Anyway, moving along. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is the option to register as uh, distributors if you can make the minimum order quantities. So if you're you a shooting range a dealer. and yep. you're a dealer, if you're a shooting range or you're a dealer, if a firearms dealer, um, get in contact. We'd love to see the stuff on your shelves. Um, yeah. Same website, same contact and, details. And any questions or anything, get hold of us. Um, any advice on loading and all three of us shoot the bullets uh, and, and not because we're forced to. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you need any advice, we, we can help you with that. Perfect. Uh, contact Gaz. Uh, we're going to say Gaz because Gaz is our favorite. But contact Gaz or any of the other members of Team Zero Mike uh, for discount codes. Um, but to be part of the club, you need to contact Gaz. Oh, yeah. The club. There we go. <laughs> so early in the episode and we're talking about the club, eh? Well, we've got to, we've got to mention the club because the club is important <laughs> to almost no one. But... <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm hearing Will Smith songs. Um. So let's get, uh, let's get rolling on tonight's topic. Um, something that we, well, we, something that I wanted to discuss, and we'll, we'll put it to the, to the group and we'll see where it goes, is the impact of unreliable equipment. Uh, and equipment is a, is a wide sort of range of stuff. Um, it includes your firearm. It obviously includes your, your holster and your mag pouches. It includes your magazines. It includes your ammunition, um, sights on your gun, etc. Um, we had, a. have had gun problems in the past. Gaz has had some minor gun issues recently. Uh, we had some, some interesting observations at the last EG league where guys were having significant issues with light strikes on guns. And uh, seeing how that affects performance and how that affects your uh, your mood and your whole approach to the match. Because uh, when you start going, oh, fuck, it doesn't matter what I do because it's not going to go well anyway because my gun isn't working. Uh, it's not just the gun that's holding you back at that point. You, you start introducing all sorts of other problems because you mentally give up. You just go, well, this is never going to be good for the rest of the match, so fuck it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. T, obviously, with your uh, your 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 teaching experience, um, and this is not specifically match related, but what is the thing that that happens most often in your training courses that holds people back? That's a bit of a tough question, but but I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue because I want to prep you to go in the right direction. Oh, sorry, sorry. Am I supposed to? <laughs> I mean, go with it where you want to. <laughs> so on a slightly different track to your, your very subtle clue, but uh, something, something we noticed, and I think it's kind of relevant to, to, to what we've been discussing is, or, or, or your sort of intro. With, with most quality pistols, um, and, and I do put in the caveat quality because there are some manufacturers who will remain nameless, moo, um, but... With, with most quality manufacturers, the gun 
in its state, in, in its sort of factory state, will generally work reliably. If you, if you feed it um, SAMI or CIP spec ammunition uh, and you take your Glock, CZ, Walther, Beretta, whatever out the box, it'll probably run really well. Um, and, and, and the example I always use with this, and, and it's, it's, um, it's one that, that sometimes, especially with younger folk, young, fuck, I've reached a certain age. But with fuck your old. Guys, I, I really am. Uh, yeah. They often play music I like in the um, <laughs> supermarkets. <laughs> um, so, you know, what, what, one of the examples I like to use, and it, 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 and it is related to this, is 1911s get a really bad rap for reliability. Uh, I mean, I like to give corn shit. And, um, you know, we, and, and jokes aside, we see more 1911s give shit on the range than we see Glocks give shit on the range. Um, but if you take a 1913 production, uh, 1911, it won't be an A1 then, and you put a little bit of oil in it and you put 230 grain full metal jacket with the correct nose ogive in the seven round magazine, um, that gun will run and it'll run with Flanders mud on it. It'll run while you're chasing Pancho Villa. Um, that gun will run. The trigger is going to be between five and seven pounds. It's going to be gritty and shitty. Um, you're going to have a seven-shot magazine. You're going to have a hammer and, and grip safety that bite the fuck out of you. You're going to have a tiny little ejection port that's going to ding, ding your brass. But that gun will run. You're going to have uh, a heavy recoil spring. You're going to have a 16-pound. Well, you're going to have a 16-pound recoil spring. Well, relatively um, heavy. Yeah, I mean... Compared to what guys run in competition guns is where I'm going. Um, and where those guns start giving shit is when we start, and I'm going to get the bunny ears out here, improving. Uh, we start messing around. And it, it's not, it, there's a big myth that, that, that one of the reasons those guns worked is that they were sort of super loose fit and rattling. And it, they are now because they're a hundred and something odd fucking years old. Uh, and, and, you know, even the World War II guns now are 70 or 80. Like, I mean, they're about 80 years old now. Um, and, and they were hammered, you know, until like 1985. Um, but when they originally built, they, they were not sort of Wilson Combat tight, but they were relatively tight. But they were built to a spec, and they were. And then the big thing that started causing shit is us going, can I get eight rounds in the magazine? Can I feed this different bullet profile? I don't want to use this particular OGIVE 230 grain metal jacket. I want to use this semi watt cutter or hollow point or, or whatever. Um, I want to have a three pound trigger as opposed to a seven pound trigger. And the, that's when the gun started giving shit. Um, the gun's built to a spec, you know, so whether it was a Colt or an Ithaca or a Remington or a Remington Rand or a Singer or a Union or whatever, they were all built exactly the same. Um, they weren't super durable, especially the later World War II guns, because they were only spot hardened. But they were they were they were built a particular spec. And and this and this is a long roundabout way of saying we see the same thing with modern pistols. Um, they're probably a little bit more forgiving, um, but we still see the same issues. 
you know, your, I use a, a common competition gun. Your CZ Shadow comes out the box with like a 16 pound recoil spring or a 15 pound recoil spring and a 15 pound mainspring. And we go, that's really nice. But if I put in this 10 pound recoil spring and this 11 pound mainspring, I'm going to have less recoil and a lighter trigger, uh, which is 100% true. But you're also going to have more propensity for light strike. It's going to be more sensitive to, to primers not being properly seated or, or harder primers because they put that big heavy, heavy mainspring in so that it'll not set off every primer in the world. Um, they put that heavy recoil spring in so the gun's a little bit dry or a little bit dirty or the round's a little bit out of spec, it'll smash it close. The biggest cause of failures I see with quality pistols um, are caused generally by two things. Um, one is shitty ammunition. Um, most guys reloading is not quite as good as they think it is. And the other one we see, especially with competition pistols a lot, is guys messing around with stuff um, and running it to the ragged edge, which, which we do on competition guns, or running it past the ragged edge uh, and going, well, we, we had it, uh, I don't think you were at the match with us, we had a guy in our squad who had ridiculous light strikes at the, at the spot and club shoot. Um, he bought a second-hand shadow too, and I think the gun had, he reckoned it had, had like an eight-pound hammer spring put in there, which is fantastic. Oh, eight pounds is not going to set off yeah. much. If you're running federal primers that you've crush-fit into place, you've got a firing pin that's long, you've got a super, like, firing pin spring that's eight coil, um, it'll probably work. If you're then going to try and run it with Gen X primers, well, guess what? It's not going to fucking work. Um, and and that's that's the the choice you make when you move away from the factory spec. I'm not saying the factories are perfect, but the factory spec for most modern service pistols is going to be built for reliability and durability. Uh, if you move away from that, there's no such thing as a free lane. Uh, if if you're going to lighten up the, the double action trigger on a double action gun, if you're going to lighten up the the trigger on a striker fire gun, you are most likely going to have to give something up. It might not be giving up so much that it's not worth doing it. My Shadow 2 has got an 11 and a half pound hammer spring. Um, but I appreciate it's probably not going to work fantastically with like Gen X primers. And if I were to try and shoot state ammo in it, there'd be clicks. Um, but with the stuff I use, it works reliably enough. Well, it, it works exceptionally reliably, but I also have to keep on top of replacing recoil springs, that sort of thing. Makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so, and T just, just hit on what I was about to say. Mm. Um, when we start modifying things to make life easier for the shooter, you're inevitably making life harder for the gun. Um, in pretty much every design that I can think of, there might be things that are exceptions to this, but pretty much every design that I can think of. If you are reducing the recoil spring weight, um, you are going to have more slide velocity uh, when the gun reaches sort of full cycle. So you're, you're creating more sort of impact stress and things on those guns. If you're going to lighter hammer springs or lighter main springs, he said you're going to potentially start running into issues with setting off primers. 
Um, and as a result, you need to be on top of maintenance on guns that have been modified away from factory spec much more frequently than you need to be with a gun that is at factory spec. Um, if you neglect, and T can't say this, but I'll say this, if you neglect to replace the uh, the recoil spring assembly on a Glock for a long time, that pistol's probably going to remain uh, reliable. It's not not advised, I'm not saying that you should do this, but that pistol's probably going to remain reliable for quite a long period beyond the, the rate of service life of that recoil spring assembly because they've been designed in such a way that there is some margin. Um, so that gun will be reliable for at least as long as they've rated it. Don't push it beyond this, like I said, but for at least that long, it will be reliable. When you're starting to run really light stuff, sort of competition optimized stuff, um, you're going to be, have a fraction of the life of those components that you would have had in something that's, that's sort of factory ready. You're going to be re- replacing recoil springs on a much more frequent cycle. Um, you may also need to replace a whole bunch of other stuff in your gun if you, if you go super light, uh, 1911s, if your components aren't properly hardened and you're running really light triggers, you're probably going to end up replacing hammers and sears and possibly disconnectors at some, some more frequent interval when you're running like three pound or two and a half pound triggers as opposed to when you're running a seven or an eight pound trigger. Um, Even if you're running spectacular parts, I mean, my, my, my old STI Edge had, I mean, it had the best trigger in the world ever. Uh, it's your gun now. Um, I mean, that gun for the longest time had a two pound brakes like a glass rod, super. It was a spectacular trigger, and at 20,000 rounds, um, it stopped working. And that was with really, really good parts. Uh, but yeah, you, you're running it on, on, on a really fine. There's no safety margin. If that was a seven-pound trigger, um, you'd probably never replace those parts. Exactly. And uh, guys seem to forget that when they start modifying pistols, which is why we see a lot of guys modifying carry guns, uh, sometimes to a point that I wouldn't be comfortable with that being done to a competition pistol. Uh, And then they don't do any sort of serious testing to make sure that it's going to be reliable. Uh, to the to the point that you need it to be in a carry gun, which uh, brings us to well, not brings us to, but th- this includes every component that you replace in your gun. Uh, popular on on competition pistols is uh, some form of an adjustable sight. Adjustable sights do not last forever, and they do not last as well as fixed sights. Um, fixed sights being properly fitted. Um, if if they're not properly fitted, they may come loose and go flying, but they're properly fitted. They're probably going to last outlast a properly fitted adjustable sight. Um, and guys don't necessarily understand that you need to check zero and confirm zero on your pistols reasonably frequently so that you can catch those sort of issues so that they don't catch you off guard in matches. Um, of, same thing. Good. Sorry, one, just related to that. One of the things you'll often spot on if you, if you go to an Ipsic match and there's a, a an experienced shooter in your squad, like a dude who knows what he's doing, he's got adjustable sights on, on his gun, so, which is very often going to be a standard gun. The guy's got an STI or some sort of 2011 with an adjustable sight. And a lot of the time, if you look at his rear sight, you're going to see paint pen marks um, on the adjustment screws. Uh, 
And that's not to look cool. It's so that he can very quickly tell if something starts moving. Uh, yep. Same for, for Red Dot. Um, you'll see that uh, most of the guys who have some experience will have uh, sort of paint marks on their Red Dots too. Stu, you can really quickly and easily visibly, visibly confirm whether something's moved. And if nothing's moved on your Red Dot, but you're still having issues, um, and you're sure it's not you because it could be you. Uh, you may be dealing with a dot that's failing. Um, just one of those things. Um, Gaz? Uh, what I was just going to add in there is that there's actually a lot of parts. Like when we look at it, there's a lot of parts that make a functioning piece of equipment, our gun. So when I say functioning piece of equipment, that's magazine, sights, recoil springs, all of the accessories that we put on for competition maybe some light modifications we do for carry. There's a lot of things to keep in mind and, and monitor and those sort of things. And like on the competition side, when you're running on that ragged edge, a lot of the time the stuff will go from running 100% flawless to all of a sudden not running flawless without you even knowing it or realizing it. And it's often something simple that you've overlooked, but because you're running on the edge, you're maintaining all of these other things. You're not actually looking at everything. You know, and then when you compound it with having more than one gun and you're shooting more than one division, it becomes a little bit more difficult to manage all of those things and easier to overlook the little things because it's often a small thing that will all of a sudden take your piece of equipment from running flawlessly to not running flawlessly. And that'll obviously always happen in the middle of an important stage of the match, right? It'll never uh, yeah. happen on the small 30-point 30 30 stage. It'll happen. <laughs> Dude, it will happen at a match. It won't happen in practice which means that you might as well treat the same consequences on a defensive gun. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And that's sort of the, the point of tonight's show is sort of trying to highlight to guys, well, one, how important it is that your carry gear is in good sort of functional condition, but also how much you're leaving on the table at matches uh, if you can't trust your equipment. Sorry, T, we're going to say? No, no, no. Uh, that, I, I was going to agree with you that reliability trumps almost everything. All the time you've made up at a match with that slightly better trigger or that whatever else um, is going to fall out the window when you have a five-second malfunction in the middle of the stage. Uh, everything you've made up has now just disappeared. Um, what I was going to say, though, is the other time that gear will break, if it does break in practice, it'll be the day before nationals when you're practicing. At the end of your practice session, when the hammer on your gun snaps in half and smashes you in the face, and you have to drive through quickly and get, get that replaced. Ask me how I know that. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> So there's dire consequences to it failing in practice too. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's Murphy's law that, that you're more likely to have a, a, something go wrong in a match than in a practice session. Um, and, and we know that, that the likelihood of a malfunction in a gunfight is substantially higher than in a practice. Uh, yeah. Because the situation, you know, the, the setup is often a lot um, a lot less beneficial to the gun working reliably. So 
we're not saying don't modify your gun. Obviously, I'm I'm officially saying don't modify your clock because clock knows better than you. But what we're saying is you need to thoroughly test the modifications you make and you need to keep on top of the things that are affected by that um, so that you can keep your gun running. Uh, you know, my, my, my Shadow 2 has a lighter hammer spring and a lighter recoil spring. I also keep a round count and at 5,000 rounds, I throw the recoil spring away and put a fresh recoil spring in. Um, because at 5,000 rounds, that recoil spring is dramatically shortened. And I can feel that the gun is, is, is cycling differently. I'm also not shooting plus P or plus P plus ammo in that gun. Um, you know, that gun's generally shot with, with a 147 gram load. So it's, it, it's not a very aggressive sort of load, 147 or 135. Um, and with that gun, I do keep shock buffs in there because the fucking shock buffs and shadows last forever. Uh, and every so, you know, when basically when I replace the recoil spring, I replace the shock buff. Um, but I, I do check on it occasionally when I leave the gun. But, you know, on, on a Beretta 92, the M9 hammer spring spec is a 20-pound mainspring. And that was a requirement for the M9 testing. You can get away with a 12-pound mainspring in that gun. Um, and you're going to get a spectacular trigger, but you're going to have to be more careful about what ammo you use. Uh, that's not necessarily the end of the world. You know, if, if you're if you're going to make sure that, okay, well, I'm going to run this sort of stuff. And as a result, I have a supply of federal HST and federal have the softest primers around and my gun will set them off. No problem. Then that's awesome. Uh, but if you, if you aren't in that situation or you haven't thoroughly tested the stuff you're carrying in the gun, um, then you're opening yourself up for a greater chance of something going wrong, uh, of, of something not working. So whatever mods you make this, there's some mods I think are idiotic. Extended slide stops in any gun are stupid. Don't do it. Uh, on, on Glocks, I think they're stupid. And because I see one of two things happen, and, and 1911s, they're particularly stupid. Um, but extended slide stops, as, as, as a rule of thumb, I see one of two things happen. Either you put your thumb on it, and then the slide doesn't lock open when the gun's empty. So the extended part now does fuck all for you because it's not going to speed up your reload, it's going to slow it down. Or substantially worse than that, and, and probably more likely to be a problem in a fight, is that I see guys bumping them up when there's rounds in the gun and having slide lock with a full magazine. Um, so we've, we've put in a part of dubious logic at the best of times where the downsides dramatically out, you know, outweigh the, the upsides. Uh, but often guys do it because it makes them feel better or because it makes them, it's easier to, it's easier to try and buy, buy performance than it is to, to increase your skill. Uh, and that's where a lot of these mods come from. I'm not saying all mods are the end of the world, but we see guys all the time spending 6,000 rand on an aftermarket trigger in a gun they haven't shot 6,000 rounds, 6, rounds worth of ammunition through. And I will give you my gold-plated guarantee that spending six grand on ammo through that gun will make you a better shooter than putting in a six-grand trick. If you can do both, shon on off. Um, but if you can do both, you could possibly put in the 12,000 12 rounds worth of ammo. 
uh, and then you'll be even good at like. Something related to that. Um, there, there's a there's a distinct difference between just throwing modifications on the gun for throwing modifications on the gun, and personalizing a gun to make it function better for you. And that line can get blurry very quickly. So, like T was talking now, extended slide stop, extended mag release, those kinds of things. It's very easy to fall into this modification or upgrade tomfoolery when we're playing with a gun at the gun shop counter and we're having a look at this new fancy extended mag release or slide stop or whatever the extension or part is, it's easy to fall into the trap of, oh, this feels nice, I can drop the slide easier or I can really reach the mag release easier where those things actually have very little impact when you're actually physically trying to use the gun. So it's the same as like Glock triggers. The guys always want to improve the Glock triggers. And the only time that you really feel that a Glock trigger could be a little bit more difficult to manipulate than others is when you're actually standing there just playing with it where you're not actually shooting or putting effort in or training or whatever the case is. So be careful of that line between personalization and, and actual modification. So interestingly, the guys that I see, this isn't universally true, but the guys I see making the most functional modification to guns uh, the most extreme functional modifications typically aren't fantastic shooters. Um, they're they're typically not putting in a hell of a lot of work, and they're typically not shooting the guns a hell of a lot, um, which I find interesting. Um, so, guys who shoot a lot are less likely to modify guns because of modify guns in extreme ways because they want to have flawless practice sessions they want to have flawless matches they want to have um, definitely flawless self-defense encounters if you are ever unfortunate enough to have to do that um i find it interesting that the guys who would who theoretically gain the least from gun modifications the guys who shoot less spend more of their income or, or more finances on improving guns for something they really don't actually do like it's a it's a badge of honor to say that i have this trigger in my gun that costs the same as my gun um it's i find that kind of weird um it's like it's not surprising though no it's not it's it's, it's just it's nature. weird you know we were joking about the off-road car thing now and we've all heard the story about the dude who pitches up with some tricked out off-road vehicle with every possible gadget and gadget and some worm in his fucking Isuzu KB 4x2 goes, oh, I might have to put the locking hubs on for this. Um, and, 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 and does a better job. You know what I'm saying? It's, and that's not to say that the dude with the, the trip gear is necessarily shit. It's just, Trick gear is not going to make up for a lack of skill. Uh, there are some mods, jokes aside, that are going to make it easier. Um, you know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not a hair shirt wearer that you must shoot your guns completely stock and learn to use iron sights before you use optics or any of that other shit. Um, it's more a case of when you're going to make a modification, you need to look at what it's going to benefit you and what the positive, down, positive uh, possible negatives are. 
and balance those out. Um, not it's cool, not it felt nice, but if I do this modification to my gun, will it, what's it going to improve? What's going to be the downside? Because there will be some sort of downside. And will the that money spent on ammunition um, make a bigger or smaller difference than this one? You know, you spend 250 bucks and put a 2KZ connector in your Glock, it's going to make a difference in how the gun shoots and probably make a bigger difference than 50 rounds of shooting. Um, unless you do no shooting. Uh, but, you, you know, I see guys who spend shit tons of money drilling holes in their slide and laser serrating this and stippling this and all of that. And a big giveaway for me is when the gun's all tricking and it still has the plastic fucking factory sights on it. Um, that tells me that you did these mods for the grams and not for a greater shootability, shall we say. Yep. Um, you know, I, I use Gaz's competition guns as an example to guys all the time because people expect them to have whiz-bang triggers and all of that. Honestly, the inside of Gaz's guns are not that different from a factory gun. And the more he changes it, the more shit he has. Weird that, hey. Yeah. I know, it's yeah. odd. Um, it's peculiar. Yeah. Can't yeah, I mean, I mean, if we just, okay, my comp, this is a, probably a good example of personalization. It's the same as dropping a two kilo connector into your Glock. Most of the personalization that I have on my competition guns is on the exterior of the gun. You know, the inside's got one or two competition springs in it. It's still got factory recoil springs in it in the 22 Gen 5. Exterior, I've got competition sights on. I've got the silicon carbide done. Got a magwell on it, and then I run plus twos. Those are basically the essentials to personalization, and they all have big benefits at the same time. Some of them do have drawbacks and they have risk. And we try and mitigate that risk as much as possible by going with good quality stuff and having it installed properly. Big bonus. Yes. There's nothing more dangerous than a dude with a Dremel trying to uh, improve a gun. That's it. Oh, Personalization, yeah. is, as long as the benefit outweighs the risk for you in terms of reliability and for your ability to apply yourself to that tool, then it's probably a good personalization to make as opposed to looking at it as a modification. Yeah, I, so just to pick up on what T said and that ties in with what Gaz just said, um, all three of us have modified firearms. Hmm. Like, it's not like any of us shoot guns that are 100% stock standard as they come out the box in competitions and things. Um, so we're, we're not advising against, well, yeah, Exactly, our carry guns aren't necessarily all super stock either. No, mine isn't. Um, but the stuff that has been done to them has been done with care and consideration for what it does and careful testing after it had been applied um, to make sure that it was functional in the way that we need it to be. It's not... None of the stuff that, that's done to, to our pistols are radical. None of it is, a, is extreme modification away from factory spec. Um, they're all modifications, but they're not, it's not madness. Um, 
which is important. So we saw some guys at uh, at the EG League having major issues with with light strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I think, two light strikes in the match, and we traced my issues back to uh, poor maintenance. Uh, I had some some gunk in the uh, firing pin channel that was hanging up the uh, firing pin, eating all the energy up and and like really, really light strikes on the primers as a result. Very easy to fix. Quick swab of, of, of that channel and it was sorted. That still cost me dearly at the match um, because they, they happen at truly inopportune times, shall we say. But that was only two. Uh, T, you had a, a dead round, which in no way could have been avoided. So we yeah, that, that, was, that that primer I took I took that round to work then on on the Monday and hit it twenty times. Um, yeah, was, yours yours is unavoidable. <laughs> there's there's just no way to tell that uh, it's it's an unfortunate thing. But an issue I did have actually that that I fixed is I had some uh, um, I had I had. So I have a whole lot of the 17 round flat bottom Mecca Max for my, my shadow. And I scored a couple of the PO7 style plus two mag extensions, which I made for a slightly wider mag. I put them on the mags. They were a little bit of a ratty fit, but they worked. I shot them. They functioned. I was happy. I had two stages where they, they affected my score quite badly because of rounds coming loose because the tension on the top round was and that was one of those cases of not thoroughly vetting the thing before the match. And it probably didn't cost me a place, but probably cost me 3 or 4% on my final score um, as a result of having issues on reloads. Uh, so that, that was, that's an, actual, an, an awesome example of I stuck them on. I did minimal testing and went, Fuck, it's good enough for you. Uh, and then under match conditions, <laughs> it goes. Okay. My boy. You know who I am, eh? We're talking about an, East, an Eastern Kharteng match here. We've got to speak the vernacular of our people. This is true. You? But we, we have to. Bro. Oh, my boy. <laughs> my cherry hey. would fuck you up, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm making it to my goose, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we saw some other guys and I think we mentioned this in, the, in a previous episode who had issues with uh, with light strikes as well uh, one individual traced his back to uh, what he calls bad primers um, I think it's it's more likely either a hard primers combined with a an aftermarket trigger that lightens things up or poorly seated primers than it is just bad primers. Yeah. Um, well, it's going to be how you define a bad primer. You know, if he had federal primers in the exact same situation, they probably would have worked because yep. they're a better primer. Um, and, and, and that's going to be reality, and that's probably going to get worse. Uh, you know, if you look at the, the shortages they're, they're having in America with, with components, uh, we're not going to duck that. Um, you know, the stuff that's here now, uh, we're probably not going to see a huge influx of, of sort of federal primers coming into SA or, uh, you know, like American primers and that. 
and we are more likely to see the sort of peculiar Bosnian primers in that, which are going to be less sensitive. So that's a decision you're going to have to make if you're going to use that. You're either going to have to bite the bullet and, and buy the more expensive primer and use those for matches, or you're going to have to set up your gun to work with the stuff that's available to you as opposed to the stuff that's theoretically awesome. And it's one of the challenges I think we have here that guys go into a US forum and they go, okay, so the, the hot setup on my Tanfo is this hammer, this, you know, whatever setup, I get a spectacular trigger. But the dude who's running that shoots federal primers exclusively, which here can be hard to get and are going to cost twice as much as anything else. Uh, and that's the bit guys sometimes ignore sort of deliberately, not deliberately, if that makes sense. Uh, it's inconvenient. So they, they prefer not to think about it. And then they get shocked when the gun goes click instead of bang. Yep. And I'm well, not sure what the... Sorry, guys, go ahead. No, I was going to have a sloggy comment. I was just going to say, if it goes click and dry fire, that's okay. But if it goes bang and dry fire, that's bad. If it clicks in live fire, that's bad. If it goes bang in live fire, that's good. Very <laughs> technical, guys. Thanks for... Everything's situational <laughs> dependent. <laughs> <laughs> I did some dry fire. The TV is still here, so I'll call that absolutely dry. <laughs> we we have a, a mutual friend who will yes. remain nameless, and I'm not even going to hint at his name, who decided to dry fire his AO one night. Ah. And his television set. Um, it was lost in the valiant struggle against <laughs> him and his rifle. <laughs> this is my rifle. This is my gun. Oh shit! Where did my TV go? Yeah, <laughs> click, click. Uh, and it happens all the time when guys are finishing up. Um, and then there's the famous story that I hope is true, and if it's not true, I'm going to just wish it to be true. About the dude sitting dry firing at the TV, going click, 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 click. He finishes up. He loads his gun. Some politician he doesn't like comes back on the TV. He grabs his gun for one last one, goes boom, hits the screen. The speaker keeps going, and his son goes, Skid on wer bei Brat noch. Right, international listeners, that's shoot him again, Dad. He's still talking. We're, we're going to call that true, even if it isn't, because it's such a cool story. <laughs> I just want it to be true. Like, I'll go pay someone to do that just to make it true. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure if the uh, if the other issue is traced back to to primers or or gun problems. Um, on on that weird rotating barrel assembly gun. Uh, yeah, I think that was, I think that was loading on the deep press. <laughs> which, hello, um, <laughs> which brings us to what I was hinting at at the very beginning of this. Um, I haven't been to to most of T's training but the ones that I have been to there have been some issues with uh, with reloads that guys make um, specifically guys who who don't case gauge ammo ever uh, and then what they invariably do is it works in this gun but I'm shooting a different gun today and then nothing works 
Oh, that's uh, a fine, Gaz. Who was that? Was that you, Gaz? Yeah, it wasn't me. That's a fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a fine son. <laughs> um, so years ago, when I years ago, a couple of years ago, when I started shooting Epsic, I had some uh, some spectacular ammunition issues in one match. And I can't remember who the shooter is. If you can remember who you are, let me know. I'll give you credit in the next episode. Um, came over and said that uh, no, 30% of your match, 33% of your match is your, your preparation for it in, in sort of dry fire and live fire. 33% of your match is your actual match day where you, you actually shoot stuff and you make things happen. And that missing 33% is what you do at your reloading bench because you can really fuck yourself by not paying attention there. And it was very true in that match. I don't know if it's 33% of everyone's match. But conceivably, if you're a low-level shooter, it's going to make less of a difference in your overall result. might make a difference in your percentage, but it's not really going to make a difference in your, in your placement in the match. But if you're a high-level shooter... Um, having sort of one or two bad rounds in a match can really affect where where you end up, um, especially depending on what the bad round does. The bad round goes click, and you do a if you have a double action, you just go click again, it goes bang. All well, not all good, but you've solved it relatively quickly. Um, if it goes click and you tap rack and it comes out, well, that's also relatively small impact. If you get that sucker stuck in the chamber and you now need to beat stuff out the gun. Um, you're ending up with much larger time penalties for uh, a small bit of inattention, shall we say. And, you know, the thing is, in, in a, a reasonable club match, bad ammunition has 150 opportunities to affect you badly. In a big match, bad ammunition has 300, 400, 1,000 opportunities to affect you badly. Uh, and And... Yeah, the light strike one is a, is a great example because this is what I come across all the time. Guy, guy's gun goes click. He picks up the round off the ground and goes, no, no, it wasn't that I've seated the primer wrong because, look, the primer's properly seated. And what's often happened is the primer wasn't properly seated. Your firing pin hitting it is what seated it properly, but then it didn't have enough power to set it off because it had used all that energy to seat it properly. So once again, don't bullshit yourself. Um, we we see that all the time where guys, you know, because for some reason you can't tell a guy his reloading may have been problematic. Um, that's kind of like telling him that his children are ugly. Um, <laughs> or that he can't bry whilst holding the charcoal meat. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of Afrikaans guys who shoot. I don't know if I have the guts to say that to them, even if he can't bry. I'd rather tell him his wife's ugly. Because um, <laughs> he'll, he'll be happier with that. You know, you say to him, his wife's ugly, he might laugh, he might agree. You tell him he can't bry? Violence. <laughs> checks out. Tell me I'm wrong. No, no, it checks out. It, it, it absolutely checks out. <laughs> and, 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 and closely related to that, and a, and a topic kind of close to my heart is. Um, for some reason, people don't test their carry ammo because it's expensive. So we'll, you know, we'll buy a whatever sort of whiz bang super death ninja carry ammo, 
My dog's trying to eat a litter of my water bottle. Um, and uh, never, ever check that it actually works in our gun. Uh, and then I hope it does. And just because it says 9 mil on the box and 9 mil on the gun doesn't mean that your gun's going to necessarily work. Just because your gun's an HK or a fucking whatever doesn't mean it'll work with whatever ammunition you're going to feed it. Some guns don't like some ammo. Um, I had an HK USP that in its first ever, first mag I ever shot out of it was with Winchester White Box, 115 grand full metal jacket, and I had a malfunction in the first mag. The gun never malfunctioned again, but it had a malfunction in the first mag with that ammo. Um, I had a G26 that didn't like golden sabers. Some guns don't like some ammo, and, and fight, you know, with a match gun, finding that out at a match is going to be unpleasant. Um, with a self-defense gun, finding that out in a fight is going to be really bad. You need to function test your ammo and your gun. And three rounds is not a fucking function test. Of course it is. That's two more than most people do. Uh, three more than most people do. <laughs> um, sometimes only two more because the AD. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a, it, it, it's a pro- and I have conversations with guys all the time that, oh, no, it's expensive. Well, yeah, um, it, it is, but you can probably, like most of the people listening to this show could probably find the money. Uh, you know, I understand that some people are, are, are not in a position. And then, you know what? Don't carry the whiz-bang fucking hollow point. Um, carry cheaper hollow point. You know, if, if you can't afford to function test the thousand rand a box stuff, then buy a box of the mag text for 350 rand and, you know, carry those. And if you can't do that, buy a box of fucking S&B ball for 250 bucks. Um, but don't carry a gun with ammunition you haven't tested. Don't carry a gun you haven't shot. And don't carry a gun with ammunition you haven't tested it in, uh, tested in it, um, because your China told you that these RIPs were the greatest load in the world ever. Yep. So that's basically my advice to guys too who go, uh, well, I've bought fancy brand X at like fifteen hundred bucks per twenty-five or whatever, and then you go, okay, cool story. Have you uh, have you tested it? Are you sure it feeds? Are you sure it goes bang? Um, have you confirmed where it actually shoots relative to where your sights are are currently set? And uh, the answer is no, 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 we, we can't afford that. This, this 25 barely fills my mags. What do you mean we have to shoot this stuff? And it's like, I would be more happy with you carrying ball that you can shoot r- relatively regularly. So if you can shoot your carry ammo every six months, you can shoot out the 20 or 30 rounds of the stuff to confirm your gun still works. From the zero store where you wanted to be confirmed that you're no, you're not having significant issues with recoil and stuff because let's be honest, most carry ammo is significantly hotter than what most guys are shooting most of the time. Um, if you can't afford to at least every six months run a you know, tens of, of rounds of your carry ammo through your gun, your carry gun, that's probably not the ammo you should be carrying. Um we understand it's expensive. We understand that at times it can be hard to find ammo because South Africa and at the moment, unfortunately, it's not just South Africa. At the moment, it's sort of global shortage because the U.S. is having all sorts of issues uh, with supply. Um, well, I'm saying with supply, they're having a huge surge in demand. And as a result, everywhere is having a problem with supply. Um, I'd much rather you carry something much cheaper 
even to the point of carrying ball, but have the option of actually testing it and shooting it. I would prefer you don't carry ball, um, but I would greatly prefer you carry ball over you, you carry something that you, you never test and you, you never shoot. Um, and you know, like, here is an example. MagTech Blue Box 9 Mulalo points are not much more than ball. Um, I, I think it's 50 rand for 50 rounds difference in price if that. Uh, is it the greatest self-defense ammo in the world ever? No, it's not fucking, you know, it's not critical duty. It's not HST. Um, but it's good ammo at a reasonable price uh, that most of us can afford to function testing our guns. Uh, and I've, I've had guns where three or four mags in all of a sudden they had a malfunction with the load. Um, you know, we, we, I spoke at the beginning of the show about testing these shield mags in the, in the G48. And yeah, 200 rounds of carry ammo. Um, no one sponsored me that ammo. Uh, you know, that, that wasn't welcome to the gun show. doesn't pay me for that ammo. Um, no one paid me to, to supply that ammo. That was ammo I had to pay for. But if I'm going to carry the shit, you know what? It's a small price to pay. And I think that's, that's a concept sometimes I struggle with. And, and it's surprising how often the dude who just rolled in, it, you know, with the Amiga watch and the Pringle shirt in the brand new Fortuna is the guy bitching that 500 Rand to spend on ammunition is too much for testing. Uh, you know, um, if you're spending more on booze in a month than ammunition, your priorities are wrong. And I, I, I like nice booze. Um, but jokes aside, if, if, if you don't blink at spending 500 bucks on booze, and, and a lot of guys don't uh, in a night, and you sure. do blink at spending 500 bucks on, on testing some ammo, you need to unfuck yourself. Exactly. Sorry. More soapboxes. I've been mean, a lot of soapboxes for that. That's all good. Um, Gaz. Yeah, boy. Can you talk to us about magazines and how they are uh, disposable items uh, and, and why we want sort of practice mags, match mags, and carry mags? Okay, so magazines, much to contrary belief, are actually disposable or maintenance valuable parts they're not things that just lie around go in your gun and work all the time and i know this particularly from a competition point of view because my mags get used more extensively and i'm also pushing them a bit to the to the limit you know so i'm taking a stock length glock magazine i'm adding a plus two shoe on it and i'm making a longer spring so i'm really pushing them to their limit and i'm squeezing as many rounds as i can into the mags what this leads to is essentially my match magazines need to be replaced once a year the entire magazine um, and what I normally do is I'll cycle my match mags into practice mags and my practice mags get cycled out completely and the new mags get tested and run in for, for the match, for, for my match batch of magazines. And the reason being, we want to keep the two separate. And if we're looking at a carry gun, we want to have a set of magazines that we use strictly for carry only. Obviously, that we've tested and it works with that ammo, et cetera, et cetera, what we've been discussing. And we want to have other magazines that we're going to use when we go to the range, the ones we throw in the dirt, the ones that are getting fouled up by a lot of carbon, et cetera, et cetera. The ones where you're going to be utilizing them more often. Um, and the problem is they, they stop being reliable, you know. So recently, I went through some malfunctions at a match. 
the day before I shot the steel challenge, I had no issues whatsoever related to malfunctions. I shot a match the next day and I was plagued by a fair amount of malfunctions that were all related to the magazines, hindsight 2020. But what I was doing was I was pushing the threshold too far. So I was getting one extra round in. This was nice. The gun was working. And again, that's sitting on that ragged edge. All of a sudden, it stopped working. That's my fault. It's not the gun's fault, not the equipment's fault. It's my fault for going that little bit too far. And I say to the guys all the time, one extra round that fails once a year is not worth it. Just, just as a blind example. You know, if I have 17 rounds in my magazine that will work the whole year, provided I'm doing my part and looking after the equipment, that will be far more beneficial and great for me and my shooting and the skills and all of that. And all of this applies to defense as well. But having 17 rounds that works all year will always be better than having 18 rounds that fails once a year. Yep. And you know, the thing is, you know, related to that, that 17 round mag, if that one, if that works, and you need, and you know, when you're doing your walkthrough, that you're going to have to reload before X point because you've got 17 rounds in the mag. It's always going to be quicker than clearing an unexpected malfunction. Oh yeah, 100. Uh, percent And and substantially quicker. Uh, yeah. You know, a, a planned reload, especially if, like in Epsic, where you can go, fuck, I'm going to do a quick reload while I'm moving here. The 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 time difference it's going to add is pretty minor. Um, Whereas an unplanned malfunction clearance, you've got to spot that it's happened, react that it's happened, get back in the in the game, and and often your your mental state is not exactly what it was before that happened. Uh, all of that is a lot more detrimental than the occasional benefit that extra round is going to give you in the stage. Yeah, pl- uh-huh. planned planned reloads always happen when you're not shooting. And Funny reloads. that. Planned reloads always happen when you're not shooting. But uh, <laughs> malfunctions and, uh, and unplanned reloads as a result um, pretty much always happen in the middle of target raise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's highly unlikely that as you fire your last round of the array and you start moving, you figure out, oh, that one didn't extract. So I'm going to just clear that while I'm moving and I'm doing my next reload. Um, they pretty much always happen in the middle of a target array. And as we discussed in the previous uh, episode on, on stage planning, anything that interrupts your sort of shooting program when you're, you're shooting an array or shooting a target is likely for most people to result in some issue on the subsequent round. So you'll clear it and you'll shoot a mic after that, or you'll shoot a no shoot, or you'll you know, have to fill in a couple of rounds. Um, it's not. That's just because we end up sort of rush, try, hurrying after malfunctions and things. It's not because you have to miss or have to shoot a no-shoot after that. It's just that's what typically happens to, to most people after that. So as Gaz said, a single malfunction in a year uh, for the benefit of an extra round is, is absolutely not worth it. Um, so related to magazine maintenance, I mean, obviously Gaz has now told us that magazines are, are maintenance items and. Uh, your magazines might not need yearly replacement like Gaz's does. Uh, you might need every two or three years. You might need every six months. Who knows? You need to figure that out. Um, there is also critically important, especially in, in steel magazines, but 
for everything. So don't take that as if I have steel magazines, I have to do this, but especially in steel magazines, you need to keep them clean. Um, if you want them to, to, to run reliably, that means taking mag brushes to matches. That means taking mag brushes to training potentially. Um, and it definitely means not dropping your carry mags in the dirt and stuff. Um, I do shoot my carry mags and I think everyone should, but I'm not dropping them out of guns onto concrete or no onto rocks or into mud or, or any of that sort of stuff. They, they get slightly babied. They get function tested, but they get babied. My, Where my, my, sorry, T. Yeah. My carry mags do not get dropped. Um, no. yeah. my, my carry mags are, they tested, um, and then that's it. And, and I shoot them fairly regularly. Uh, remembering that the use is what kills springs, not uh, so, but you know, my carry mags will get shot every couple of months. Um, but loaded up, shot, baby. There's no, I, I'm not going to take my carry mags and shoot a match with them or take my carry mags and do a training course with them uh, because that's just unnecessary wearing there. Exactly. Um, I run separate match mags and separate dry fire. Uh, and live fire mags. Um, the reason for that is dry fire, especially if you're doing sort of harder floor surfaces and things, is really tough on magazines. Um, if you're dropping them out of a gun onto a tile floor in your house, I mean, try not to do that. But if you're doing that sort of stuff, uh, even carpet, if it's not a really thick carpet, um, it's a it's a much harder surface to contact than typical sort of range surfaces. Um, so your, your dry fire mags are going to get beaten up quite badly in a relative short period of time. They'll probably continue to work as dry fire mags. No problem. Um, notable exception might be steel mags where you might deform them to the point where they either won't insert or drop free of your gun. And there you can, you can hammer them back into a shape where they'll do that because they're dry fire mags. Um, but realize that once you've done that, they may not actually, <laughs> they may That's not actually, is. this is one of the ones that we hate. Oh yeah. Um, terrible. Yeah. These are terrible. Um, they may not work as, as sort of mags that go bang in your gun. Um, practice mags. You obviously want those to go bang in your gun because you don't want to continuously interrupt your, your practice with issues. That's counterproductive. Um, but realize that those are also going to get dropped a lot. They're probably not going to get cleaned quite as often. Um, match mags, obviously they get dropped on the floor. Obviously they get dropped in mud and they get dirty and dusty and, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but they basically only get use in matches and they get cleaned after every match um, so that they're ready to go for the next match. And I take a lot of, of classic mags to matches, so I typically, typically, okay. sometimes I do. <coughs> surprising, yeah. surprising. But I typically don't have to clean <laughs> mags during a match. Um, if I had less less mags, I would have to clean mags after every stage, uh, which is quite common and is a good common sense thing to do if you're reusing mags. If I run out of mags at a match and I have to start reusing mags, they'll come apart, they'll get cleaned before they go back onto a onto a rig because it's a... If you've dropped them even in light sort of sand, uh, your chances of having a malfunction from that mag goes up by a lot. 
doesn't mean you'll always have malfunction, but your chances of having one goes up by, by a margin that I'm not willing to live with. Long pause. <laughs> Why the big pause, T? I was born with them. <laughs> no, you weren't, you liar. <laughs> you grew them later in life, didn't you? Horse walks into bar, barman says, while a long face. <laughs> a horse walks into a bar, the barman goes, hey, a, a white horse walks into a bar. The barman goes, hey, we've got a drink here named after you. The horse the goes, horse says, what, a drink named Gerald? I was about to tell the same terrible thing. You had the same taste and terrible fucking joke. Shows you how old we are. <laughs> wow. Some of us older than others. Yes, some of us. Um, so, guys, how do you keep track of all this stuff so you know when to replace your mags, when to uh, sort of replace springs, etc.? So... So like magazines, I make a note of when I'm going to replace them. Normally it's fairly easy. The beginning of the new year is when magazines are typically going to be replaced. Springs and that are all relative to round count. So I keep a, a fairly detailed spreadsheet of my round count and what type of ammo I'm putting through the gun. And with that, I've basically got a breakdown of what springs I'm running in the gun and when they were installed in the gun. And then every now and then I'll just add up how many rounds this specific spring has done. And then I know when to replace it or not to replace it. Nine times out of 10, I'm going to replace all the springs at the same time, which makes things much easier. I don't have to keep track of the trigger spring and the recoil spring and this mag spring and that striker spring. And I keep track of all of the springs at the same time. When, they, when one or all of them come due, I replace them all and then we can keep going with that. So typically they're all going to hit some, similar to the same round counts and get replaced. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, springs in general are cheap enough uh, that replacing them individually and complicating your life is not worth it. Yeah, um, no. Also, skipping, skipping maintenance uh, cycles for the sake of saving the, uh, the very little rants that, that a spring costs is silly. Um, it might introduce malfunctions. It could also be reducing the, uh, the lifespan of your firearm. Sorry, T. I just I want to give you some very important advice with springs as well, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, catch helicopters. Um, when you take that old spring out and replace it, walk over to a dustbin and throw it the fuck away. Don't I think, oh, I'm going to hang on to the spring as a spare, because what's going to happen is the old spring is going to get mixed in with new springs, and you're not going to know what's what. So if you want to have a spare, sorry, yeah, she didn't hear that. Buy a spare. <laughs> but don't hang on to old springs because it's just, I know this because I have fucking piles of springs where some are brand new and some are old and I'm not 100% sure which which because I didn't throw the old springs away. Yeah. Yep. Been there, done that, and I think I've actually before thrown new springs away because an old spring or two got mixed into it. So I wasn't willing to risk it. Even the new springs got thrown in the dustbin. Sad to yep. say. So a way to avoid that is obviously just moving the thing in the dustbin. If you don't trust yourself to throw it in the dustbin immediately, um, just cut it in half. Hmm. 
because that way provided you you've got up. a good set of cutters <laughs> dude you're from like the east you guys probably just bite them in half uh, no, that in Heidelberg, you might think that they're snacks, you know, because you like to go to Springs for a snack. But, um... <laughs> oh, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that means. Sorry, Zico. I suppose that would mean that the, the recoil spring from my Glock is more like a sweetie. Get to suck on it. It's too thick to bite in one. Uh, oh. I mean, this I'm, has gone I'm, sideways. I'm, I'm a bit uncomfortable with where Garrett's going at the moment. <laughs> Luckily, his camera's off. <laughs> Achievement <see>. unlocked. Uh, <laughs> why do you think my camera's off? Exactly. Oh, fuck, I prefer not to picture that. That's why the camera's off, so I don't have to see what... Don't make me picture it, because it'll be worse in my head. <laughs> this brings us to a, uh, a, a, a line from uh, the brilliant movie, Evolution. There's, There's always time, time for lubrication. That's exactly it. Um, <laughs> I shoot 1911s. My guns get uh, get looped before and after every range trip um, because they have to. Otherwise, they probably won't work. <laughs> My carry gun gets a gets a weekly inspect, and if it if it looks even minorly like it's not dripping oil, like a Land Rover, uh, it gets more oil. Um, T's looking at his Glock, which hasn't seen a drop of oil in its no. life. No, I oiled, I greased this gun on Friday and then I shot 450 rounds to it. But, oh, so it's still got grease on it? Yeah, it'll still have lots of DVC slick grease or whatever the fuck you call it. <laughs> <laughs> Good so job. Locks famously, see, see, if there, if there is oil, weight. not necessarily on the gun, but if there is oil sort of in the same postal code, they tend to work. I don't recommend running them dry. Please lubricate your guns, but blocks are very forgiving of, of that. Um, lots of other guns are not. Um, and if you use good lube, whatever gun you've got will be more forgiving. If you put on fucking sewing machine oil that's slightly thinner than water, it's probably going to cook off after three rounds. Uh, my gun, if my barrel is still wet to the touch. Because I use good lube. Yep. Um, obviously, have good lube in stock. Um, <laughs> don't like, <laughs> don't run out of lube and then go, I'll just buy some more when I have a chance because you probably won't and you'll end up having all sorts of issues. Um, if you're sort of starting half almost to run low on lube, buy more. Um, and, and jokes aside, I mean, a, a, a bottle or syringe or whatever of whatever lube you use obviously we recommend the dbz stuff because otherwise gary wants to kick us out the club but uh <laughs> if you if you buy like a reasonable container of, of most decent lubes that's going to last you fucking years yep um you, you're gonna get at least a year out of it uh unless you've got like 50 guns that you're shooting on the rig and lubing up. Uh, but it's not, it's, it's not saving 10 rand on, on lube or 20 bucks on lube is just stupid considering how long you're going to get out of decent lube. Yep. And uh, some, some famous words from someone who will remain nameless, bless you. Um, we don't spray stuff on guns. Uh, if it's aerosolized, uh, it's probably not what you're looking for. 
uh, look for something that that's sort of wet application. So either oil that you apply through needle oiler or a spout, whatever on the bottle, or something like a grease like gas cells uh, through a syringe. Um, aerosolized stuff has potential problems, shall we say? And you know, there's there's freaking religious crusades and debates about lube, lube and oil versus grease and this versus that. What's important is that your gun is lubricated and that when metal bits rub against metal bits, there's something wet and slick between them. And crucially, something that remains. T mentioned with the stuff cooking off, use. So lots of guys, and I have some, some history with car racing and stuff. Lots of guys will use motor oil on their guns and go, well, it's good enough for my engine. It'll run 250,000 kilometers in that sucker. It's like, yes, but your engine on average operates at a much higher temperature than your gun does. Um, that lube was designed to have the proper lubrication properties at a certain temperature range. That temper- temperature range does not match what you have for your gun. Same thing with the sewing machine stuff. The sewing machine is basically ice cold always. Um, not useful for firearms. Use something that was specifically formulated for use in either specifically firearms or in very specifically that same sort of temperature range that your firearms operate in. Um, and you want something that'll, that'll remain. So in South Africa, we want something that's typically a little bit thicker because we have on average higher temperatures. If you're in the States and you're listening to this, you're doing something wrong with your life. But obviously if you're in a place that's super cold, you need something thinner. Um, if, if you're in hot temperatures, you want something a little bit thicker because you want something that'll, that'll remain and keep the surfaces coated. The guns don't have to be swimming in oil or grease for them to function, but there needs to be a layer of something that reduces friction. Yeah. Why are we talking about this? Gaz is the one with all the experience here. Because we, gas doesn't want to sound like a shill. It's a wheel shill gas. <laughs> awesome. You were going to say T, sorry, I interrupted you. Um, no, no, you've started my train of thought, you bastard. Uh, yeah, w- one of the things guys also forget about um, their car engines is that your car has something that your gun almost does, definitely doesn't have, and that's called an oil pump. It, it's a different system. I also I have concerns about carcinogens with with using car oil in, in guns because you're getting that that oil atomized in your face, um, and it's not designed to be atomized in your face. So, uh, guys, what do you sell a, a, a tube of DVC grease for? A uh, 15 mil syringe of DVC slick grease is 150 rand retail. Yeah, and that's yeah. going to last you. More than a year on a gun. Yeah, um, I I loop many guns with that stuff, and I have two syringes of that because I have one in the range bag and one that lives in my office, um, so I don't have to dig through range bags to find it when I need it. And both of those tubes are more than half full after just over a year. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I've still I've still got some um, of Gaz's prototype oil at work left. And, and I mean, we use more, more gun oil at work than most people do at their house, houses because weirdly enough, we have a whole lot of guns and I normally, when I do bother to clean or leave my guns, I do it at work because I'm 
I've got all the gear. Um, and I mean, we, we've still got some of that left from when Gaz was first, um, before he first launched his, his oil, never mind his grease. Uh, that shit lasts forever. Yep. So one of the things, just to top off on that, is one of the things guys overlook with, with lubrication on guns mm -hmm. is that if we look at engine oil, a motor is basically a sealed unit where the oil's running. Hmm. Yeah. Whereas yep. on a gun, we've got all of these exposed bearing surfaces where metal on metal contact is. And because of that exposure, that, ex that assists in like T saying the stuff getting um, vaporized in your face, or I think that was the word he used. Um, I think you know what I mean. Atomized. atomized. That's the right word. There we go. Um, that stuff getting atomized and because it's an exposed system, basically it's not enclosed in a tank or a body or something where you've got the mechanical parts moving with inside it. You start creating evaporation quicker. You start introducing more debris sooner than what a motor is going to do it, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of guys overlook that. And then you start having poor performing lubricants on your gun, even though the gun's wet with oil, that doesn't mean it's doing anything. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that covers lubrication. Um, obviously, uh, clean your guns as necessary. The end on that discussion. Um, Thank you. As necessary is very loosely defined. I clean mine when I start having issues. <laughs> Except for my carry gun. I clean mine every three or four thousand rounds, whether they need it or not. Yeah, mine probably get roughly to there when I start having having to do it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's typically where my stuff gets. And and remember, your gun, despite what your worm who was in the muck told you, um, your gun will work a lot better, dirty and wet, uh, than it will um, clean and dry. Yep. Never trust a clean gun. I don't trust a clean gun. Yep. So if you do clean it, um, make sure you go and, and shoot it a little bit. Um, not just because carbon makes everything better in guns, um, also because a lot of guys aren't strictly qualified to be taking guns down to the level that they do. And then you have issues with uh, reassembly where guns don't work like they once did. Actually, um, I'm, I'm going to interject there quickly. Unless you are a gunsmith or a factory armorer for the gun that you have, don't fucking detail strip it a hell of a lot of the issues we have with with you know we have guns come in at work and and the dude's got an issue what what you know whatnot surprising a surprising number of those guns are simply because homeboy took his gun apart and then put it back together wrong because he didn't know how because he's not a trained armorer or, or, or gunsmith um so, and, and the absolute worst is guys who have this weird urge that every time they've shot two rounds through their gun, they have to detail strip it. Um, you don't detail strip your car motor every time you're going to fill up the petrol tank. Uh, you know, it's, yes, keep your gun clean. That's wonderful. Sean and R, knock yourself out. If, if you've, you know, I, I, I spent too much time shooting to, to clean guns every time I shoot that. Um, but don't detail strip guns unless they really need it. Um, and, and unless you know what you're doing, you're more likely to cause shit by detail stripping it and putting it back together incorrectly 
than a little bit of carbon in a nook and cranny you couldn't reach with. Uh, you know, we we get sort of you know we get guns coming in at work with with, with issues, um, and I'll tell you what: the vast majority of them uh, are either related to one of three things: um, dudes working on their guns who didn't know what they were doing and they put them back together wrong; dudes using crappy ammunition, um, or aftermarket shit in their guns that that was the bad idea. Uh, so when someone says to me, I'm having whatever issue with my gun, my general first solution to them is go buy yourselves two boxes of quality factory full metal jacket ammunition. Um, S&B and MagTech generally work pretty well at a reasonable price. Go shoot that through your gun. If that works, guess what? The problem's not your fucking gun. It's your shitty reload. Um, if that doesn't work, what we'll generally do is pull out the aftermarket parts, put factory parts in, and I'll tell you what, 99.9% of the time, those two things fix the problem. Uh, it, it's a very rare gun where that doesn't fix the problem. Uh, but the guys are insistent on, I've, I've got to have this part. Yeah, but your gun doesn't work. Uh, yeah, but, but I read on the internet or I saw on YouTube that this part's a game changer. Yes, Sunshine, but your gun doesn't work with it because it's a shitty part. Um, I had a guy once on course, I may have told the story on the, on the podcast before, pitched up with a G23 with an aftermarket trigger setup, very expensive, very long trigger setup, carried appendix that was set up in such a way that it had disabled two of the three Glock internal safety. Um, that's a problem. And that's not a Glock problem. That's an aftermarket part problem. Uh, dude was carrying that gun down the front of his pants um, with, with two of the three safeties disabled. Uh, I turned around and said, homeboy, you're not, uh, you're not shooting that gun on my range because I don't want to have to like, put direct pressure on your groin. Um, so he, uh, we put the factory parts back in his gun not only did all the safeties work, but shock horror, he shot better. Um, and turned around and said, fuck, this gun's so much nicer to shoot. I've pissed away six or 7,000 Rand on, on this aftermarket trigger set. Uh, because yes, it was a light trigger that didn't make it a nice trigger or an easy to shoot trigger. It just was a light trigger. It was mushy and indistinct and, and unsafe. Um, and I guarantee you, if that guy had to spend that sort of money on training and ammo, would have done substantially more for his shooting than, than putting those stupid things in his gun. So this isn't just for, for Glocks. Um, like any other gun that you're, you're fiddling mm. with, you, you're creating the, the potential for failure in the gun not functioning. Or, sometimes worse, the gun functioning when you don't intend it to. Um, I don't recall the guy's name, and even if I did, I wouldn't say it. Uh, when we started the show, someone contacted me uh, regarding a 1911. Um, he'll, if he's still listening, he'll know who he is. He had a, a firearm that failed, and he ended up shooting himself in the upper thigh through the, uh, through the femur. Um, rushed to hospital, spent a significant amount of time recovering, um, and... I can't verify the story, 
but his story was that a gunsmith fitted a new uh, safety to the gun for him and it was incorrectly fitted. And as a result, the safety was not functional. Um, and that's, like I said, I can't verify his story, but his story was that a gunsmith fitted it. So regardless, if you don't know how to safety check the gun after that sort of stuff has been done, you probably should not be doing it. Um, if you are not qualified to make those sort of changes to guns, you should not be doing it. Um, if you're uncertain whether your firearm is safe, I don't mean whether it's functional, whether it's safe, um, take it to a gunsmith or take it to a certified armorer and have them inspect it. Don't just blindly trust it. Um, accidents happen and uh, sometimes no one's to blame. Sometimes there's a, there's a bit of negligence to blame at times. Um, doesn't matter. The last thing you want is to accidentally shoot yourself or a loved one uh, due to poorly modified or poorly assembled firearms. Uh, be absolutely careful with this. Um, and like I said, all firearms, the lot of them, uh, it doesn't matter what you've got, doesn't matter how long you think that you've been able to detail strip them. Um, you don't necessarily understand all the workings and exactly how things function together. And over time, uh, part will wear down to the point where the tolerances are not what they once were. So over time, firearms that were once safe could become unsafe, uh, especially if they've been modified away from factory default. So if you have a thinner margin and then you introduce some, some, uh, some wear and tear, uh, the, the odds of, of having something that functions when it shouldn't increases. And remember, it's a machine. Machines wear. Uh, this is something that people often seem to, to overlook. Uh, you know, we understand with a car that it's going to need some sort of maintenance schedule. We understand with a whole lot of other things that they're going to need some sort of maintenance schedule. And then for some reason with, with a gun, we, we expect it to run forever. And then even worse, I'll fix it when it breaks, um, as opposed to having some sort of schedule, you know, to avoid that, which is unideal. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if what, I've ever used uh, my, my Hilux analogy on the, on, the, on the show. No, give us your Hilux analogy. Yeah, so I suppose I could make it the cruiser analogy now that I'm getting into that. Now that you're Mr. Cruiser, yeah. Now, so you could buy a Toyota Land Cruiser and weld the bonnet shut and drive it for 100,000 Ks, and it would still go. Um, so, you know, no service, no nothing, just put petrol in. You'll, you'll do 100,000 Ks. At the end of that 100,000 Ks, that machine's going to be worse for wear. You could take that exact same vehicle. You could follow the simple maintenance you know, routine that the manufacturer says. So every 10 or 15,000 case, whatever it is with those, um, you know, give it a basic service. And that same vehicle will do six, seven, 800,000 case. Uh, there's no space magic in it. It's just preventative maintenance. Um, and guns are the same. If you, you know, I'll never forget, I'll, I'll name drop you, you know, I'll name drop you. I remember Angus Hobdell, who owns CZ Custom, um, turning around. Someone's going on about CZ. You know, CZ trigger springs are famous for breaking. Um, and Angus said, you know how I many, and I mean, he shot, you know, he was on the UK team and they could still shoot hangers and that sort of thing. He says, you know how many um, trigger springs have broken? The guy goes, no, how many? He says, zero. Dude, like, looks at him like he's made out of cheese. He says, 
because I replace them before they break. Um, and, and that's the sort of model we need to follow. Sometimes, well, often the parts that save you are really inexpensive. Mm. Um, and they're really inexpensive because they should be replaced on such a regular interval that the manufacturers make an absolute shit ton of these things, which makes them cost effective. So take advantage of that and replace your recoil springs before you crack a slide and you have to replace a slide because there's a significant cost difference between replacing a slide and replacing a recoil spring every couple of thousand rounds. Um, couple of thousand rounds is indicative of what they commonly do. Don't like, don't say Cornet said a couple of thousand rounds. So now we're replacing my cult officers springs every 2000 rounds. That's not going to go well. Um, see, check what the interval is for your gun in your caliber for your usage. Make sure that you follow it. On, on most guns and not all guns, the, the officers being a good example of that, because Basically, those when you change magazines, you change recoil springs. Yep. Um, but on most guns, if you replace recoil springs every five thousand rounds, you you should be okay. It'll be a bit shorter than you need to on a lot of guns, um, but you're not going to lose anything. You know, you, there's going to there's not going to be a downside. Um, th there are a few, and it's generally really sort of subcompact pistols. So the officers is a classic example. Um, you know, if, if you've got a gun that, that, that's jamming a, a more powerful cartridge into a really tiny sort of platform, it's going to be harder on springs and it's going to be more reliant on the springs being in the correct sort of range. So, you know, I'm going to replace recoil springs in a Glock 43 more regularly than I am in a Glock 17 um, because I'm firing the same cartridge in a much more violent sort of system. Exactly. There's nothing to be lost by, by doing things before the, the interval comes up to replace them. Um, you're not, the cost is so irrelevant that you're not losing anything. Um, and it, it buys you some added safety doing it more frequently. At the intervals, fine. Don't, don't let us like bully you into doing it more frequently. But more frequently doesn't hurt. Less frequently, however, is a problem. On the money. What haven't we spoken about? I bought a new Thesaurus. It's terrible. It's also terrible. Is it one star? <laughs> um, I hadn't other, thought of that when I was that <laughs> Other things I to just, just bear in mind. Um, if you have something that takes batteries... Replace mm -hmm. the batteries on some cycle. Don't wait till the battery goes dead, especially if it's your optic and your carry gun. Don't wait for it to go dead. Um, replace it on some some reasonable time frame. So if the battery is expected to last six months, I would try and replace that every three months. Um, the battery is expected to last a week. Well, maybe change optics. Well, <laughs> yes. Uh, hello, Echo. Um, I wasn't going to mention it, but now that you did, that's so, accurate. Uh, use, and, and also, don't buy the cheapest, shittiest D-market batteries you can, um, because sometimes we see what guys think are optics failures, 
and they turn out to be not optics failures. They turn out to be shitty battery failures. Exactly. Gaz, anything else from your side? Anything that we No. No, I think we've covered lots of things. Cool stuff. T? Yeah, I think we've covered a hell of a lot. Cool stuff. So in summary, do routine maintenance on your firearms. Keep track of how many rounds you fired. Keep them lubricated. Don't strip them yourself beyond sort of a field strip level. Don't overclean them because you're more likely to introduce issues. Case gauge your ammo. Um, mark your adjustable sights so you can check if they're they're moving or not. Um, cool. Yeah, and yeah. more. Yes. Do you want to remind our listeners about the club fees? Oh yes. We have to. Um, as always, we, we really do appreciate all of the support and feedback that we're getting from the listeners. We appreciate both um, of you. Yeah, all both of you. Uh, but uh, if oh, you guys have any sorry. questions, yes, yeah. If you guys have any questions or queries or maybe even have a couple of show ideas for us, please pop them through and then we'll, we'll have a look at how we can add those into the schedule for you. Um, but as always, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating, you know the the you know the rules by now. A minimum of five stars gets you into the club, and we're starting to gain quite a few club members. So thank you to those guys who have been uh, putting in those ratings for us. Later, losers. <laughs>